The following podcast contains adult language and themes that may be unsuitable for some listeners. You've been warned. Cellulite is a very common, harmless skin condition that causes lumpy, dimpled flesh on the thighs, hips, buttocks, and abdomen. The condition is most prevalent in women who are also... <laughs> How many of us have been on a diet? Counting calories and carbs, stressing about our workout routines, and hating the person we see in the mirror. Where did this obsession come from, and is it really healthy? Or are we all just pawns in the larger capitalist scheme of diet culture? For now, put away that diet soda and those fat-free snacks, because we're about to serve you a big old dose of taboo topics. I'm your host, Matt, and this is the Going There Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, keep your arms and legs inside the car at all times, because we're going there. Taboo Topics are back on the table. Thank you, thank you, thank you for everybody coming here today. I'm super excited about this one. This is going to be an amazing episode because we have an amazing panel. And I want to start with our freaking movie star to my right. Please introduce yourself. So my name is Megan Cox. Um, I was a participant in the Way Down docuseries. I founded the Beyond Zion Foundation and um, just a Midwest mom and wife as well. So for the audience members who might not know what she was talking about, and she will be on another episode, so you'll hear even more about it. The Way Down was an HBO Max docuseries about Remnant Church, and we are going to definitely get into some of what it was today as well as future episodes, because it was a very bizarre tale. And uh, we just couldn't be more thankful to have somebody as awesome as Megan, who just happened to be not that far away to be here in the studio with us. So we're still starstruck. We might be taking selfies with you all night. Uh, And then you guys know the sexy caramel voice chocolate man to my left. My man. (laughs) <laughs> I'm Hassan Rogers, and I'm a theater artist and uh, an avid whiskey drinker. Hassan, I, I change up my mug every episode. Hassan's going to be changing his title every episode. And then we are super pumped to have an amazing uh, professional and educated person on the Zoom call with us is the first time we're doing a remote call, and we're really hoping this goes smoother than last season. Since we're doing video, please introduce yourself. Thank you for being here. Hi, everybody. I'm Elaine Bishop. I am a certified nurse midwife, and I am a, an advocate for um, body positivity and um, autonomy and uh basically patient rights and developing you know a better healthcare system for everybody if possible <laughs> how do you feel about whiskey <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
I'm not as enthusiastic as you, Hassan. Okay, that's I'm sorry. <laughs> you're not you're not hurting my feelings. I think I'm the one who bought you that. That's right. I'm a vodka um, girl. Oh, you're a vodka girl. Okay. Me too. I'm a basic white bitch. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> um I I wanna start this episode by asking first Megan and Hassan, what has been your own personal journey in short form with body positivity and or negativity image and struggles with diet, weight, so on? Well, um, for me, it's been an entire, my, my entire life of struggling with, I mean, body negativity. I don't think I've once been positive about my body um, because that was how I was brought up. And that was later on through my teen years to my early adult years. It's still there a little bit, but you know, being a part of the weight on diet and having then you, how you look on the outside and how you approach, you know, eating uh, to be tied into morality. So it's been a lifelong journey for me. And there is a big history with that. We're gonna get into that in a minute. Hassan, how about you? Well, you know, it's funny. Um, it's almost uh, like uh, the, the full spectrum because uh, growing up, uh, very athletic, you know, always in shape, always working out and all that. And then uh, the first marriage, I'm recently married, by the way. Congratulations. Ah, I was at the wedding. Yeah, it was beautiful. Now I feel like we so, have to post pictures yeah, yeah, we got, we have in this to, episode. But, you know, the first marriage, uh, I gained a lot of weight. Like, I gained a lot of weight. I gained about 100 pounds. And so from, so from the time I was in high school, so if you saw me in high school at 212, and then you saw me again 10 years later, and 10 years later would have been a few years into my wedding, of my marriage, I was 100 pounds heavier. you know. And at one point I got up to 342 pounds. And um, then a heart attack happened as a result of the divorce. And I found myself you know, really shocked into a different reality and uh, looked at starting to reclaim some of my more fit state and uh, the funny part was there was a big difference in those who notice you and those who notice your transformation. You know, and from a guy who was always gregarious and outgoing anyway, uh, it still was interesting to see that there were people watching you. And there were people that said things like this, uh, for a big guy, you're so-and-so-and-so. Yeah. You know, for a big guy, you're super athletic. And it was funny because I didn't see myself as a big guy except I was huge, you know, and I'm a big sizable fuck now, but <laughs> at this point, I'm, uh, I'm keenly aware of, of the effect my, my nutrition and my lifestyle has on my body. And, and you're an actor and, you know, you do mm -hmm. a lot of things on camera. Have you noticed people try to comment on that or tiptoe well, well, around you know what, that? You, you know what, uh, one time someone said, uh, you know, you probably could, you know, you probably would be considered you know, for a few more principles if you weren't, you know, so portly. And I said, well, you know, uh, I don't know, man, I just don't think there's a better actor than me. So, you know. <laughs> that is the most polite way to put that. I mean, it's not I don't, great. That's polite. That yeah. is, I mean, well, yeah. uh, I, I did, did they say it exactly like that? No, I'm they just, did. They, they did? said it in those words. I mean, they weren't, I mean, they were in a production with me. Yeah. So it's not like they had a better role than I did, you know, so, 
it uh i just never I guess thought what of a it. highbrow way to say it yeah. uh, i never thought yeah. about sure yeah. well <laughs> because i mean tip, typically people in the entertainment like the people actually in the entertainment part are more progressive more open and understanding and there's a wide variety of people so they're really just like they found a pc way to say a real dickheaded comment mm-hmm. um because that's bullshit, but we're going to talk more about what what the effects of those types of things have had on the media and our culture. Um, but uh, Elaine, how about you? What is your personal story? Because you shared a little bit of that with me uh, offline. Well, I was raised in a very fat phobic household. And um, my mom was raised in a very, very fat phobic household. So it's a generational thing that's been passed down um, for many, many, many years. Uh, I think I started Weight Watchers when I was 13 or 14 years old. I have tried every diet on the market. Um, and, you know, just yo-yoed my way through early adulthood until I started having babies of my own. And I took my son to the doctor when he was three. When they're three, they start, uh, telling you what your child's BMI is. And we'll dig into BMI a little bit more later, why it's bullshit. But um, they told me my son was obese at the age of three. And he was on the same growth curve that he had been on from birth. I grow big babies. My husband's family grew big babies. My My brother was 10 pounds at birth, you know, like, there is a genetic component to the size of your body and I am not a small person and I did not produce small people. So I have this chunk of a kid and I get told he's obese and I go home and I'm reading about it and it's like, you're setting your child up for a lifetime of disease and terrible outcomes and how dare you put your child at risk like that. And I talked to his pediatrician because I was pretty freaked out. And he was like, let's not worry about it. He's on the growth curve. He's on his same growth curve. No big deal. Let's not worry. Well, two years later, I bring his sister in. She's now three. And she's obese too. She's smaller than he was. But she's still in the obese category. And the doctor tells me, I'm I'm thinking like, we don't worry about this, right? My kid's on the growth curve. It's fine. He says, well, you can't just let her eat as many pancakes as she wants. And that was just like such an aha moment. Like this is fucking bullshit. My three-year-old daughter already has to perform and, and be conventionally attractive. Like if it wasn't a worry for my son, why is it a worry for my daughter? And I just got so enraged and I was like, I I need to figure this out for, I need to figure my own shit out around my body image before my kids are old enough to observe that happening. Because it's such a learned behavior and it was so learned for me in my in being raised and growing up. And so I kind of set off on this journey to like understand what what is weight? What what actually does weight mean in terms of health? Um, what do diets do? Do they work? Do they not? Are, am I failing? Is the diet failing? Um, what what contributes to health? What takes away from health? 
And so I discovered like we're not in control of the size of our bodies like we think we are. That blew my mind. When I heard the first person say, in this support group, we are not going to talk about intentional weight change. I was like, why not? I mean, I've been trying to intentionally change my weight my whole life. Why would I stop talking about that? And it took some research to figure out why 98% of diets fail. Um, most people who diet end up at a higher weight than they started at within two to five years. Current diet research rarely ever goes beyond two years. <laughs> yeah. Because then it would so, show that it doesn't work, right? So those are the, so, some of the realizations that I was having and like the, the discoveries that I made that kind of set me off onto this trajectory of like, what are we doing? Yeah. I mean, what, what you're saying is like, we, it's like if poodles became really popular tomorrow, a Great Dane isn't going to look like a poodle no matter how you shave it and try to starve it and do all this shit. And it's, it's insane that everybody has to fit this mold. And we're going to talk in a minute about that. I'm going to real quickly share my story. Um, and I think it's only important because there's a lot of people out there who others might look at and say, well, they have nothing to worry about. And I feel like depending on your point of view, some people look at me like that. But I've struggled with weight my entire adult life. As soon as I turned 18, I, turned, uh, I, I gained 40 pounds right out of high school. It's because I was more sedentary, metabolism stopped, all this stuff. And my entire adult life has been uh, this roller coaster up and down, up and down. I can gain and lose weight really fast, but not in a healthy, productive way. And the thing that pisses me off is when somebody doesn't think you are, I mean, there's sexism, racism, all this stuff and what we're going to talk about. But from the other side of it, as a guy, people have no problem telling you, oh man, you look fat or hey, you put some weight on. Or like, I mean, my family and like some of my friends would comment on your weight and you're like, what the fuck is that? Like, who does that? And it's not like a fun jab. It's like you're trying to knock this person down. And so I'll tell you something though. <laughs> If you're ever self-conscious, don't start a podcast and especially don't start videotaping it and having to edit yourself all the time. You, you oh my good God, <laughs> I, it is I not something fun to do. <laughs> so let's talk about how we got here. Um, how we got here to this point in society where, you know, we are trying to all fit this mold where it's expected to be the, the certain way. Think back into history, the Renaissance, you were beautiful if you were heavy. That means you were well-fed. That means that you had resources, you had access. It was the peasants, the poor, the bottom of the barrel people in, in their society who they considered the worst of the worst who were, who were skinny, you know? And, and so what really changed that um, was the advent, obviously, of like media and advertising and and just like public image, things that we didn't really have before then. But one of the uh, things that Elaine and I were kind of like, we both knew a certain part of it, and I think Megan does as well, weight being tied to morality, is the dude who invented the graham cracker. I just listened to a podcast about him today. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's and, wild. And he was some cracker named Graham. 
<laughs> and he so he invents the the graham cracker essentially and but he he's like this he's a religious leader who says that women especially should be abstinent in their diets he was also i think kind of pro vegetarian mm-hmm. but the key to health and godliness and morality are all tied to your diet are all tied specifically to your diet and not not you know in moderation an abstinent diet like you should be eating fucking graham crackers and then elaine you shared with me he's very much in bed with uh, the Kellogg man, who I was say Doctor Kellogg, that, yeah. and didn't wasn't is that an urban legend that Kellogg's was invented to to reduce masturbation? I don't know about the masturbation, the but there was cracker. Yeah, thing. but the, the Kellogg, that was I a thought big that was all the cereal, cereal movement was cereal that, was going to be your meal the way uh, like you feed livestock, you know, that's what yeah. you feed them. Yeah. So you would eat it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and in turn uh, you would control your calories. And uh, you would lose weight and be in shape. Yeah. I thought the Kellogg's guy was into eugenics. For a listener, just in case they don't understand what that is, can you real high level explain eugenics? Sure. It is this uh, faulty idea that uh, humans, like livestock, can be bred to be optimal. And uh, that usually means cutting out char- certain characteristics you know, Hitler was a eugenicist, right? Um, And so in this time period, this was the late 1800s, early 1900s, Kellogg actually thought that women were getting too thin on Graham's, Graham diet. And (laughs) he stepped in and was like, we need to plump these ladies up a little bit because they're just like sickly. And they're not producing enough babies, enough white babies for the for America to be superior to all other countries and we need to feed these ladies a little bit more in order for them to reproduce so that we can be the superior nation full of white people so then what also happened in the 1800s was some asshole belgium mathematician created the bmi scale and to be specific bmi like a lot of things that are legislated and added into the medical uh, profession, BMI has nothing to do with science or biology or anatomy. Or health. The BMI, the BMI scale is purely a mathematical formula based on like averaging out humans. Human, white and human men. White, I was gonna say white. It's, it skews, it skews color, it skews race, it, it, it skews gender, it skews everything. BMI should be called the BSI for the bullshit index because that's what it is. There's a really good article on uh, NPR, the morning edition that I read um, about all the things that basically debunk it top to bottom because it's not based on reality. It's saying, here's an average person. And so if you don't fit into this average thing, no one... Even when I'm very fit, I've never been at my actual, what you're supposed to be for my mm-hmm, size. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't take into account your frame. It doesn't take into account muscle. It doesn't take Bone into density. account. It's, it's influenced by greed. It's hugely influenced by greed. The reason that it was ever brought into the medical community, because when that mathematician made the BMI, he specifically said, this is not for individual use. This does not examine the health of an individual. This is for population 
level statistics only. And which which is problematic, too, because it skews the U.S. as heavily overweight because we're using the BMI scale. But it wasn't always like that. So the BMI was taken, it was co-opted by life insurance companies in the early 1900s. And uh, it was used as like a risk stratification tool, right? And so in that time period, the people who could afford to put money towards life insurance were white men, rich white men. And so that the, they brought the BMI in to determine who should pay more for life insurance and who shouldn't, right? Life insurance companies used it to make a lot of money. Well, then years later, the WHO convened, the World Health Organization convened, and they examined the BMI. And the BMI breaks you down into underweight, normal weight, overweight, obese. Um, <clears throat> this was in the, I think, early 90s, 1990s, that they decided to decrease the requirements for being in the overweight and obese categories. So overnight, a bunch of people were all of a sudden overweight or obese, and they didn't change their bodies at all. <laughs> and... <laughs> It's infuriating. The people who funded this are the pharmaceutical companies who were bringing two weight loss drugs to market. Within yeah. two years of this happening, suddenly they have a Dexatrin million customers. And all those. <laughs> like it's it's yeah. transparently corrupt. It's not even yeah. secret. So what happens is most of us are now overweight or obese. I don't, like I said, in my, at least from, you know, my late 20s on, I've never been below overweight. So what does that fund other than the pharmaceuticals in a large, in a, you know, in, in a nutshell, it's the diet culture, the diet market, a multi-billion dollar market. And Elaine started to kind of get at, at it that, they don't work, and, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But I'm going to ask you guys, when you hear diet culture, you hear anything about diets, what do you think? You were, you had somebody kind of bring you in on uh, diets. Yes. Um, so with my dad and stepmom, there was no official diet, just portion control. Um, but when I turned 12, my mom discovered a Bible-based weight loss program. So that's how the morality got tied to eating. And um, you, it was kind of loosey-goosey. It was like intuitive eating, but you, whatever you had, you had to cut it in half. You had to wait for your stomach to actually growl before you could eat, um, which doesn't always happen. And But you could eat whatever you wanted. Um, you could eat a piece of cheesecake if you wanted or a candy bar. But if you take one bite over full, then that means you chose that candy bar, uh, whatever it is you choose to eat, you chose that over a relationship with God. So um, it basically, again, it's a very, it's terrifying, right? Because like you don't want to do that. Like you're being told by um, Gwen Chamberlain through the way down that you're worshiping the refrigerator, you're worshiping the food um, over God, and you need to stop that. Somebody from the church came to my door, knocked on it, and said, we want to make sure that you have Jesus in your heart, but no cheeses in the fridge. Yes. This dad joke of the Jesus. week is brought to you by Velveeta. <laughs> oh. 
Yeah, th- I, that's absolutely terrifying and nuts. Um, but so that people don't get the wrong idea, I'm not saying she's nuts. We're going to talk more about church trauma in later episodes. <laughs> We're all a little nuts. But the point is no one joins a cult. People join a really good idea. It's it's the ego at the top and all of these other corrupt things and the hidden truths and all of these that lead to it. But the idea of like, hey, come join us. You're going to not just get healthy uh, physically. You're going to get healthy emotionally, mentally. Of course, who doesn't want to do that, right? It sounds like a good idea. Until. Until. Yeah, until it's not, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I don't, and to kind of backtrack just a wee bit, like when, it, you know, they told you, like, you're too poorly for this, like, for me, and that when I said, like, that's a very, perf- like, I've never been told that. I've been, it's being overweight, like, it was an insult to me. Like, go eat another cheeseburger, or, well, you're fat, or you're, like, a, one time I actually, I think I was, like, maybe 140 pounds, and I walk by two guys after leaving a bar and they're like, well, she's too fat for me. Like my worth all my life has been tied into my weight. I'm only worth something to somebody, even God, if I'm thin, basically. That's the only way I'm beautiful. It's or, interesting too, because there's a, there's a cultural difference here. you know, Which that, is what I, yeah. there's a reason it's not all white people on mm-hmm. this uh, panel. And that's what I always try to do. It what is, is the cultural well, it's difference? It's funny because, you know, I hear a lot of my, my white friends, particularly those who are who are women, uh, talk about that type of treatment. Well, you know, if you were to step across the street, there, you know, in, in the black community, uh, if you're a size twelve under that, if you're under a size twelve, then you're gonna be considered, you know, like not that attractive because you're thin. And it's interesting that um, what you talked about, you know, the earlier mindset of. Uh, the more you amass, the more mass you have, and that's a good thing. Well, in uh, when we when we talk about the predisposition for muscularity, for size, and strength, and things like that, well, uh, at our at our table, it's usually, especially if you come from a bigger family, it's usually a matter of uh, you know, like the guys. We would see how much more we could eat. <laughs> You know, yeah. so so if, if there was enough for everyone to have, I know my mom would make these, uh, you know, like the, the Korean style beef short, the flat rib. Yeah. She would make those, right? Oh my gosh, she would make two roasters. and That roaster pan that has the leaf imprint on it, the coolest little roaster pan. So she would make two of them. I remember being a teenager coming in from outside, you know, like washing my hands in the kitchen sink, which is a no-no, and then sitting down and opening the oven and getting a loaf of bread and like sopping the bread in the sauce and then putting the ribs on there. And she's like, make a plate, make a plate. <laughs> you know, and everybody's like, hey, I didn't eat yet. He, he's gonna eat it all. And I remember my brothers, you know, standing to the side, eat it, Haas, eat it, yeah. eat it, eat it. And uh, it's just interesting to hear the torment that some of, our, you know, some of my friends have gone through. Uh, like I, a friend of mine, she told me a story of her dad saying, do you really think you need another piece of bread, especially with butter on it, you know? And uh, I, and so you, you, go, you go to school, you get dogged out by this guy, you get dogged out by your dad, and then you see, you, you, you just feel so, I feel sorry for that girl. So then when you, as, as a black guy, you come across a white woman who could be a size 14 and you tell her, oh my gosh, you look nice in that sundress. And she'll say something like, well, this is the only thing that can fit me. And you know, and you're like, oh my gosh, who did a number on you? And 
that's when you the the point of uh, commercializing weight, uh, the aspirational beauty of advertising. It's not unintentional. It's intentional. Oh yeah. You know you you can never be you know Homelander, but you can drive his car. Right. <laughs> yeah, honestly, you know, you can never be Matthew McConaughey, yeah. but you can, but drive, you can a, drive a Lincoln. But you can drive a Lincoln, yeah. you know, and it, it's been that way all along. So you're never going to be the size of that woman. If you go back to some of those uh, advertise uh, the advertisements in magazines, and it's the, the white woman with that, you know, she has the angular nose, she's tall, and she has that small waist, yeah. you know, and she's drawn that way specifically. Well, you're never going to be her. But you can have a uh, a Maytag washing machine, right? And and that is still pervasive today. Except now you have people pimping it the other extreme. Um, for someone who's my size to say, "Well, Haas, when you're twenty pounds lighter, does it make your knees feel better?" If I were to argue, well, there's no difference at all. That's not being truthful, you know. So now we have the weight pimping on both ends of the extreme. So you have people pimping body positive, you have people pimping aspirational, you know, thin beauty, and it's masked around, uh, you know, being the best you, but, you know, you also have to be here at 5 a.m. in the morning for this high-intensity training class, and there's a, a whole industry uh, that plays on, well, if you could just, if you could just get your waist a little smaller, shopping would be easier for you. Right. You know, so it's not about you looking bad. It's going to make your life better. So it always takes the assumption, uh, like Megan said, that there's not only there's a moralistic attachment to it, but that you're basically a piece of shit. Yeah, you're a piece of shit. And Lazy, if guys do, if yeah. guys do you wrong, that's the only guy you can get. And uh, if a guy likes you, well, he's fetishizing you. I've heard larger women say that. Well, okay, you know what? Let me, let me where, where, where's my camera? Is this my, where's my camera? That's my camera. <laughs> I just got married, but uh, if you want to fetishize me, you know, fetish me. Just <laughs> fetishize all about me. Tell me everything you need this big black baritone to do. But see, that's guys. You know, like we don't, we don't live under cat and that, life. Well, and that's the, that's the you problem know? is there's guys, while we're hold, held to a standard, it's a much looser standard in, in physical. Can you read and write? Yeah. Because, you know? I mean, you know, they'll, if you're funny, you can get away with a lot. You can still mm -hmm. be a lead, right? Yep. Uh, but yep. with women, you have to be this tiny, unrealistic thing. And then it gives people like the Kardashians money and space that bothers me so much. I can't bash the Kardashians enough. I tried to do it online. I tried to do it in person. I was actually... Lindsay and I were taking an Uber to downtown one night and this really nice lady's telling me how much she loves the Kardashians. And there is no reason in hell you should ever like fight back with the person driving you, especially if they're going to leave you a rating. <laughs> and I was like, and Lindsay, of course, is just, she will always like, oh yeah, yeah. And I was just like, I'm sorry, I got to stop you right there. I fucking hate the Kardashians. They're horrible human beings. They give girls like you know, body dysmorphia mm -hmm. and they set unrealistic expectations. And oh, by the way, none of them actually look like the photos. So fuck the Kardashians. And she's like, well, I can kind of see what you're saying. <laughs> like other than the 25 minutes about how amazing they are. Uh, yeah. So commercialization, consumerism, and, and, and like Elaine mentioned, the, there's money behind it, especially white male money 
behind the entire industry. Um, let's talk about why diets don't actually work. And as you stated from the beginning of this, there's science behind a lot of this that is ignored because they adopt cultural fads or they adopt a mathematical equation that doesn't make any sense. Um, the first thing you were talking about, you know, you have a smaller piece or, you know, a lot of diet is based off of uh, taking away all the things that m make you happy, that that give you joy, that give you, yeah. that give you that comfort. But so when you're dieting, you're more stressed and the more stressed you are, the more you're craving those things that keep you comfortable. Your brain is actually working against you to make the diet successful from a psychological, physiological standpoint. That's one thing. Um, but Elaine, I want to toss it to you because you know way more about this than I do. What happens big picture is we're human beings and there is a commonality even when we don't all look the same, our bodies respond in similar ways to one another to different stimuli. So if you go on a very low calorie diet, your metabolism is going to slow down. Uh, this is like a, a remnant of evolution, right? So we used to be hunter gatherers and there were times of plenty and there were times of want. And in times of want, your metabolism slows down to keep you alive. <laughs> and in times of plenty, you would eat to past fullness because you're trying to put on weight to get through the next time of want, right? Well, this has stayed to this day in our metabolisms. So take the biggest loser. They took all of these really large people and they had them exercise six hours a day and eat a very low calorie diet. And it like permanently damaged these people's metabolisms. So now some of those participants are back to the size they started at, but they can only eat 600 calories a day in order to maintain their very large body. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I, I meant to research that. I dropped the ball. I, I don't know if any of the people kept the weight off at all for an extended period of time. Yeah, there's no way that's sustainable. And yeah, it, it permanently damages your body. And, and so when you get into like yo-yo dieting and weight cycling, that actually causes a kind of stress in your body that damages certain processes. And you are at higher risk for high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, from weight cycling, not from being fat. And so people attribute being fat to all of these diseases. There's a correlation that larger people have a higher incidence of some of those conditions, but it is not a causation. It is not uh, if this, then that situation. Just with your point with the diabetes and high blood pressure, um, A, it's genetic in my family, but I've yo-yoed all my life up until I met my second husband and we got married and um, it's stayed pretty steady, but I just found out a couple of months ago, I knew I had high blood pressure um, and I've been taking medication for that, but I just found out I have type two diabetes. So I've been working, you know, and that was tough. It's still tough, but, um, and it's, you know, I attributed, but I know that I'm not healthy. Like I know that. So like, it's a lifestyle change, right? Like I'm working to something sustainable now. And 
but I didn't know about the weight cycling. So thank you for saying that because that actually, I probably really, I shudder to even know what damage I've done to myself. Yeah. Basically starving myself all those years as a young person. Yeah. And Megan, you bring up such an important point. And I wanted to say this earlier on. Um, We don't owe anybody health. It's not, your body size is morally neutral. What you eat is morally neutral. Your health status is morally neutral. You are not in control nearly as much as you think that you are or you want to be. You didn't choose to have diabetes. Who chooses no. that? <laughs> yeah, I didn't say pick me, please. Like, <laughs> I want it. <laughs> right. And anyone in your life who is living in a bigger body than what is acceptable, do you think in most circumstances they would say, yes, this is my ideal. I really want to be living in this body with this big belly. And, you know, like that's what I that's like my insecure spot is my belly. And I I have to work really hard to not allow the body dysmorphia to be in the forefront of my thinking. Right. Um mm-hmm and the negative body image, because those are two different things. But um, my point is, we don't all have to be healthy. And for some people, actually, health is a privilege. It's very ableist to set the bar at health. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. No, it's not attainable. And I don't think anyone's exempt at all, because you're right, there are so many factors that come into play. Like, I don't know my ass from my elbow with any of this. I just know what I... Just have from what I've gone through, and even what my husband's taught me as well. Um, but it just, I wish that people would just wake up and see that you got to find the happy medium, you got to think about what is attainable and what isn't. And even healthy people, like people you think are like peak health, they, they can croak at any moment. You know, I've heard stories we all have. Yeah. Yeah. And you make a good point. Your body does not reflect your habits. Your Mm -hmm. body size is not as dependent upon your lifestyle as you think it is. There are people who are enormous, who exercise regularly, who eat a healthy diet. There are people who are stick thin, who never step foot in a gym a day in their lives, eat packaged processed food, And they are praised for the body that they are living in while the other person is, you know, criticized infinitely. Stepping into the musician spotlight is Abby Feldman, a comedian who makes comedy pop music about life and love's absurdities in a joyful way. Her recent singles include Soft to Get, Cellulite Summer, Call Me By My Hebrew Name, and Astrology Song, which hit number one on iTunes comedy charts. Abby performs stand-up in Los Angeles, New York City, and she tours around the country. You can check out her videos, music, and more at abbyfeldman.org. Rachel, Abram, Yaakov, 
You talk shmoya, just make a sound like you're gonna gag, yeah. Clear your throat, babe. That's my bad oy vey. Call me by my Hebrew name. I wanna I wanna make a few points here because I think it's important so you know, the people listening to this, you're going to run the gamut, right? There's going to be people from all walks of life, all different types of experiences. One, I think it's really important to to kind of re-highlight what Elaine said, was that there is certainly a correlation between some of those things, but one does not mean the other is true. Um, and, and even, again, in my life, somebody who's maybe, you know, at the time, 15 pounds heavier. For some people, being only 15 pounds heavier than what they want to be at is, is a dream, is great. But you have the people who, you know, I'd be eating a salad and someone's like, why are you eating a salad? I'm like, ah, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to get, get down to my, to my weight, which, you know, weight, weight is kind of a bullshit uh, relative term. And uh, they'd be like, oh, dude, I mean you don't need to eat that. You should just work out. Like I do crunches, look at my abs. And I'm like, fuck you. I can't tell you how infuriating that would be because especially at certain times in my life, my discipline levels are so high. I'm working out five days a week. I'm running like 30 miles a week. I'm lifting weights. I'm eating like, you know, my, my biggest, you know, at this time is my twenties. Beer was my biggest downfall. But the point was, it was like, if you lived my lifestyle, you would be a fucking Superman. You'd be on men's health. But I'm living this insane lifestyle just to be 15 pounds overweight. And, and still I feel bad about myself and you're making me feel worse. That, that unsolicited horseshit advice needs to stop because everything you're saying. Like, I fucking hate that so much. My husband's guilty of that sometimes, but not on purpose or intentional. And I have to kind of check him every now and then because I'm like, you know, he's like, well, how much do you weigh? And I'm like, I don't weigh myself. Like I only weigh myself. Well, cause he was in wrestling. He did wrestling all throughout high school. Oh, so yeah. I, he takes, I think he takes, I, I shouldn't, I really don't know, but I think he takes that approach to weight loss. Like sure. this guy's eating the same meal twice a day. And I'm like, Bleh. like I couldn't do it. Um, but I, I applaud, like he has great discipline. Like I applaud him. He gets up at the ass crack of dawn, goes to the gym five days a week. You know, I mean, and he it's worked for him it's not it doesn't work for me and i try to explain to him you you might understand to a point but it's we're on different levels with this i'm just gonna go with if i want to have a a double whopper with cheese i'm gonna have one when i want one um not every day but i did treat myself last week um and megan you know yeah was it good oh it was so good (laughs) It's my favorite. I'm so, but I'm so glad she <laughs> so she good. just told that story because that was actually my final point, and yeah. she helped me make it. Of course, we have been and love the people who are who who've done that. I do it all the time. I think most people we can be judgy, and so I'm going to throw myself under the bus. I will catch myself sitting there eating a meal, looking over, and here's this very heavy person eating the worst thing on the menu, and I'm like, does he should he really be doing that? Doesn't he I see do what's that. going on? Yeah, I mean- and. And I have to catch myself. I'm not saying it out loud. It's almost subconscious, but consciously I'll catch myself. I'm like, are, are you the same little whiny bitch who was looking in the mirror this morning going, you're too fat to fit into your jeans? Do you really need to be judging other people? We, because we have been programmed into the society to say like dieting and exercising equals perfect health. Yes. And and so the viewers and, and listeners understand too. We're not saying diet and not 
not dieting, but a healthy diet and exercise is bad. Mm -hmm. We're not, we're certainly not trying to make anyone feel bad for doing those things. It's just not one size fits all. It's what works for one might not work for all. The working title of this episode was originally, you know, your fat is my skinny. Like these people, you know, it's like we all obsess over this thing, but we are not one size fits all. We are all different sizes, shapes, heights, muscle mass, everything. We're, we're very different people, which, it, you know, we're, we're seeing we're seeing the celebration of diversity finally in kind of a mainstream way, but not with weight, not not nearly as much. Um, but it has it, it has changed. Yes, the needle has moved. Um, yes, the needle has moved for sure. But yeah. you still like there's still the. Ju- I mean, we all. I, like I said, I agree. I do judge sometimes. You know, too. I look over. I'm like, well, why are you eating a salad like me? Like, come on. But um, sure. it, it's again, it, it's it's still there, but it's is getting better. I feel like we're gonna do a road trip to get some of those whoppers because it's funny you said double oh. whopper with cheese is my like go to treat yourself uh, kind of thing. Or like their original chicken sandwich. Oh my. <laughs> Megan and I, I, I told her from the get-go, we I were destined to be friends. So I know what friends. you're talking about. When I was 16, chi- I worked at Burger those are the, It's my terrible, two, but it's so good. My two go-tos yes. are that fucking chicken sandwich, yes. double whopper with cheese, and if and if they have the Hershey pie, oh, I am I've destroying that. that Hershey heroin. pie. Well, they have yeah, mozzarella sticks now. So. That's that straight air with that Hershey pie. So some of the things that we've finally seen move, move the needle forward is – some of these influencers and Elaine introduced me to some of these people and you know I did my own kind of research and watching the one girl's TikTok and she's just like eating stuff and it's like should you be eating that she's like no eating it it's like should you be eating that yeah should you be eating that I don't know why the fuck do you care like I I I even struggle even probably at times even in this conversation like grasping what you're saying on a deep level. Yeah. Because what what you've been saying and what a lot of these people are saying is it's no one else's business what you do and what you eat and you should not be sitting there and not that you're saying like you should just fucking shoot a heroin and do whatever you want. You're you're not saying that but it's like stop letting other people's idea of health impact you. You need to do what you believe is best for you because what might be healthy physically is not Let's be honest, dieting and, and doing all of those strenuous things is mentally and emotionally fucking draining. So are you healthy if you're doing these, you know, if you're doing the, the graham cracker bullshit diet? Looking from the, you know, from the, from the other end of this, I do wonder, what is it that stops us from taking a walk today? What is it, what is it that stops us from saying, you know what? I probably could drink more water, but I don't. You know, there there is something at play. And I, I think, now even that's being monetized now. Uh, and I won't mention the app or the thing, but it, it rhymes with with Zoom, you know, it rhymes with Zoom. <laughs> uh, oh, but that yeah, one, oh, okay. There, uh, there is something there, there is something there. The fact that that there is a, a, a mindset that would that would cash in on that, you know, or make you feel bad. Um, I want to be fair because we do have a, you know, I want the audience to know that, look, I'm not sitting here uh, saying that, okay, Hassan, drink whiskey 
only drink whiskey. Right. Eat eggs over easy every morning. You know, uh, wrap wrap your devil no, egg. No, I think steak. I think what everyone is you know. saying is it's just not black and white. It's exactly. not one size fits all. Right. So of course there's but all these little don't go, don't go so far body positive with okay. Basically, you're saying I don't give a fuck. It's not I don't give a fuck. It's I shouldn't give a fuck about uh, you, you not giving a <laughs> right. fuck. Yes, exactly. Right. But I'm and see I think that the 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 feathers get ruffled when. When you get, because it's, here's the thing. If you put it on a public, a public bulletin board, then anyone can comment. So sometimes we have thin skin. Sure. You know, we have thick, big, strong ideas and thin skin. So our, our, our fit gurus don't want to hear us say, well, you know, you're being a bit obsessive. You know, they, they don't want to hear that. And our friends who, who don't want to hear you saying anything about me, they might be being a bit sensitive if you're sharing something publicly. Like if you share it publicly, then we open up for scrutiny. But I think that's one of the best things that has happened is that you have people who are all these different sizes and shapes and colors, and they're sharing things, forcing the conversation to take place. Uh, but what's still leading the conversation is everybody should be thin. Thin equals healthy. Mm -hmm. yeah. So and that and that, I, and that equals, is the beautiful. Yeah. Thin equals worthy thin equals and valuable. Right? Yeah. Thin equals pretty. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, moral. See, yeah, and see now, I just, I just got. It's so funny because now I'm gonna really let this know. So for for black guys, like some of our our white brothers, we we look and we say, "What's up, dog?" Now you you say you're heterosexual, but you find Barbie attractive, and to me, Barbie looks like a 12 year old boy with breasts, <laughs> and that's not attractive to me. You know, like a 12 year old boy is straight up and down, you know, with shoulders. And then you put breast on it, like that's not attractive to me. So it's funny, like culturally, we we want curves and size. But, but it's culturally learned is what you just, you yeah, said cultural, it it's not an innate attraction necessarily. No. So you've been taught but, from day one culturally. But like I will say this though, I will say this, as, as a young man, when I look at, ooh, okay, like what do I like about Elisa when I'm in the eighth grade? Uh, I like how her jeans, I like how she filled out her jeans. Yeah. You know, physically. I like, I like the, uh, I like the, I like that where we protrude, a woman receives. Where we're hard, a woman is soft. Like, I like that yin and yang of men and women. And I think you get that when a woman is full. That's just me. When, like, when, so when a woman is full and, and uh, she doesn't have to be curvaceous, like, oh my gosh, I look, you know, pop bottle shape, you know, but that fullness, I think that uh, I think I think a lot of men who are not able to fully appreciate a woman and handle her requirement and or needs tends to make her feel bad about her natural state. So he doesn't have to feel bad about not being able to handle her. I, I and this is just my opinion. My thought on all of that is. Because the black community said, we're not buying into this shit a long time At ago. They're all. like, you can make those movies with those little skinny sticks. We don't give a shit. But the rest of us, unfortunately, were bought into it because of where we were born and raised. And But what you get is the short end of the stick on the medical side of it. Almost definitely, because you're going to get treated differently unless you yeah. know how to advocate right. for yourself, uh, unless you, you make your, your yourself important enough yeah. to, to learn the language. And, yeah, and, it's you, and you see the people who, you know, for a long time, the women who were in the magazines and in the movies who were black, who were like the main women, they was like, 
the thin whitish, you know, very, you know, very watered down version of. It was Halle Berry. You get Halle, Halle Berry or Halle Jane Berry. Kennedy, you know, and it, it took a while. Now, I'm, I don't care for this guy's work, but I do applaud him for hiring a, an array of actors. Uh, Tyler Perry bringing in a woman yeah. like Jill Scott. You know, Jill Scott is just this, ooh, oh my gosh. But <laughs> he needs a minute. <laughs> yeah, to, to have her, you know, it's for us to see the spectrum of yeah. womanhood. Yeah. And I think social media has been an excellent tool to show to do that. Double-edged yeah, tool. A double-edged, but it has forced conversation, whereas before those conversations didn't get to happen. Like the guys got a chance to bully her as she walked by, but never was there a guy like me from Cleveland saying, hey, go fuck yourself. I looked at your picture and I see all you got is your dog and your, and your rifle and your truck with those stupid bubble tires. You know, of course you don't like her. It's very specific. Yeah. Mike, was that you? <laughs> you know what I mean? So but so now what social media does is, and then she gets to see, well, yeah, you know, yeah, thanks. You know, uh, I'll, I'll share this. Now, this is one where, and this, you say we sometimes we're judgy and, and, it, and it, it pops out of our mouths. Uh, on social media, our fingers are those lips. And I was up late one night scrolling, scrolling, and I saw these Nigerian girls in a pool, right? Oh my gosh, just full of their womanhood, right? But I noticed bleaching, you know, the bleaching for skin. Yeah. And and weave. So I was stupid enough to say, you know, a lot of us brothers really would appreciate if our sisters could appreciate, you know, who and what they are without the bleaching cream and without the weave. Oh my gosh! I'm sure. I'm sure you started oh, a shitstorm. Yeah, sounds like you might have stepped in it a yes, little bit. Yes, I did. And and so I think as we wind down, uh, what you said is very important that that we begin to mind not just mind what we say, but mind the fact that that what we say matters, even those little small quips, and then look to learn. You know, I'm looking to learn. I'm looking to appreciate the differences of my experience and your experience and your experience that way we can grow so and and you're right and we we probably say this on every episode there needs to be space for these conversations where were you i mean the whole idea i feel like behind the whole body acceptance is perfection is not the goal here and so even in these conversations perfection is not the goal like perfection is the pursuit of evil cuz you're never going to attain it and you're going to kill yourself trying and perfection is is uh, like a, an offshoot of like white supremacy because the whole thing is about perfection of this way. This yeah yes. yeah it's yeah. well it's like I need to be perfect and so I'm gonna edit this photo I'm gonna edit what I write and yeah we all do it I'm I'm you know I'm super anal retentive about things but the point is when we have these conversations it's okay to fuck up and say the wrong thing and that's why I gladly sacrifice myself and say I have done said like of all the things I'm like this pisses me off I've done it a million times too um, but it, it online social media is just not the place for it and yeah of course your intentions were good but oh, man, but, it was, but then but then she people said, make I it, will call your wife I will <laughs> I said, you know what I said? I said, I'll answer her phone. <laughs> so now Hassan has been giving money to that Nigerian prince who keeps blowing up her emails. Because he's like, you oh called my gosh. wife what? Uh, Elaine, um, getting uh, back to the, you know, the, the body positivity, what does that space look like? And it's more than body positivity. How would you describe it? 
Yeah, you know, in in my uh, introduction, I said that I'm like a body positive activist, but I'm really a body acceptance activist. It's body positivity isn't attainable for everybody. Um, and it doesn't have to be. There's no commandment there to love your body. Um, but accepting who you are, what you are, can really help you walk through this world in a different headspace. You know, I, I kind of wonder what this world would look like if we weren't suppressing all of these women with diets because you spend all your energy thinking about food, planning food, what can I eat, what can I eat? What if we'd spend all our mental energy on like how to run the world? Um, just, you know, throwing that out there. But it's, it's, not everybody's gonna get to a body positive place. Um, I'll never, I'll never be there. I, just the way my brain is wired, you know, so like I have ADHD, I think a lot of adults do. And so the people who don't have it or don't know somebody who knows they have it, it's not necessarily ADD. It's more at times hyper-focus. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think a good example of ADHD is like cleaning mm -hmm. does it for me, but like Lindsay will rock, walk in the room and she's like, the bed's half made and there's like a half pile of clothes and that's half clean. Cause you kind of get- I'm getting like, to it. Yeah, yeah. You're, like you're all <laughs> over the place, but you're hyper-focused on cleaning and I'm hyper-focused about things. But part of it is uh, you're very critical of yourself. Mm -hmm. And when I found that out, it actually made me feel a little bit better about not being so positive about myself. But like, I see a very different version than most people see. So the idea of me ever being super positive I don't think it's attainable, but accepting, even since our first conversation, Elaine, I've been challenging myself to be more accepting of things. And that doesn't mean, uh, the way I'm wired is I'm always gonna be super disciplined and try to like, I wanna work out, but I wanna work out because I want to work out. I want to feel better because I want to feel better. Not because I feel like, you know, so-and-so is gonna judge me, fuck that person. Uh, you know, and so I love what you said because I agree a thousand percent you, you but you were saying like you're never going to get there either right no i mean again too perfection to everyone is also something different right. you know and who's to say your definition of perfection is meant for me you know and i don't think that's fair to put on people either yeah. and Hassan said you should put on another 40 50 pounds well i mean no minimum. she's because she's, she's, she's fine right <laughs> <laughs> she, no that's a good thing no you know what's funny no no and megan may, I, I i hope at the end of tonight you leave at least with one thought because of the trauma that's happened to you, and it's not to make light of it because it is immense, but because of the trauma that's happened to you, you've second guessed your own value, I think overall. And when we told her that we were so happy to have her on this show, she's like, me? Like, Pfft. and I'm like, are you fucking kidding it. me? Like, first of all, you're a movie star, a literal <laughs> movie star. Secondly, like what you're doing and the your ability to talk about it and still be able to take it in stride even though you're still working through it and you'll probably always be working through this shit is incredible and the last thing on my mind even watching it had anything to do with your weight or how you looked on camera like you're a beautiful person and i hope you know that and take that to heart because like i i couldn't be more sincere in saying that thank you it's a, it's in there <laughs> <laughs> Do oh, I always yeah. hear it all the time? No, but <laughs> the overarching message that I hope that people can take away from this episode is, is that it is that you are so much more than your body. Your body is a vessel that is carrying you through this world and your impact on the world is really what matters and how you treat other people 
right? And like, how do people walk away from you feeling? Do they feel worse about themselves? Do they feel better about themselves? What kind of contributions are you making? Screw how you look. Who fucking cares? If you can cuddle well, that matters too, though. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you have to be able to cuddle well. But but let's, so I'm going to, I'm going to again throw myself under the bus and show a couple of different things. One, we are always going to care how we look. It, it's we, especially in today. Who says who? In, in today's modern world, I don't know that you can get away from looks, especially because of social media and TikTok and all that shit. And, and it's all horseshit because you're putting yourself up against people who've been filtered and they shot the same angle a thousand times. You're looking at the wrong social media. Well, I don't look at that stuff. I'm, but, but I'm saying there's also a difference between consciously caring and subconsciously caring. I'll never not subconsciously care. I'm 40 years old. I can't un- unlearn that behavior. But I care about how I look. I do. I'm yeah. keenly aware of it. What, what I guess what I was trying to say to reframe is how you look doesn't need to be how much you weigh or how thin you are or that kind of part. Like how you look is more like, I, did I groom myself today? You know, like, did I brush my teeth? Um, looks should not be everything, but it would be Im- almost impossible to live in this modern day society. And yes, we need to break down the system. Um, and my other prejudice is, as we were saying, when I see somebody who's like super skinny and super fit, I'm very prejudiced. I'm like, they're probably a shallow, vapid piece of shit. I don't even want to have a conversation with them. Obsessed with it. Because what have you done? Like, what do you do for fun? I work out. What do you what do you do oh, to yeah. get back to the community? I did a charity run. Like what what do you what do you do in your life to make an impact? What books have you read? Uh, like nothing that isn't on a dance mix. Like <laughs> I, But that's you're doing exactly the same thing to thin people that He's, so he admitted that he admitted it, like, but that's what he admitted. He was admitting that that yeah. he's he's, I, I, he's doing it in reverse. To, to say that to say that the prejudice doesn't go the other way, and and the problem is because we we put our own expectations and ideas on what is good or bad, and again tying it to morality, like you said, and we put it on other people, and that's. Like, I think there's nothing wrong with somebody who wants to look good. I think there's nothing wrong with somebody who wants to count calories and and do it. That is their absolute choice. And like what I try to do is consciously stop myself from judging them, from trying to fix them, like tell them like, well, hey, if you were a wrestler, all you got to do is uh, wear wear a fucking garbage bag and run around the halls with your shirt off, (laughs) which is literally something that the wrestlers did. Eat ginger fingers. So. I mean, would you say that's kind of the the theme of the space is kind of like do what makes you happy. It's you owe it to nobody but yourself to to live your life. Yeah, your life should not be defined by the outline of your body. You know, there's so much more contained within you than what fits in your silhouette. You know? I mean, remember when COVID started and we were all isolated and we we're all stuck at home and everybody was like posting about how much weight they were gaining. And I was even making jokes about it. I was like, I can't unlock my phone. It doesn't it doesn't recognize me anymore. <laughs> but we were so much happier. Yeah. yeah. And if I think about myself at some of the points in life, you mentioned like and, and your story might be different, but like people are like, oh, I got married. I put on some weight because you were happy. Like. You think comfortable and you think comfortable is bad. Mm-hmm. Comfort. Too much comfort might be, you know, I mean, any like a, anything in 
in, in moderation. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I agree with you because, you know, I, I did I ever get thin in a healthy way? No. But um, right. meeting my husband, finally being happy and in a healthy relationship. That's how I got here, which is not I'm not blaming him, but finally being able to not worry about it, I guess, essentially, because I had someone who loved me no matter what size I was. And that gave me the freedom to do whatever I wanted, which I did. So, and it's a great thing. We just have to get away from this idea that like the only way to be happy is to be as miserable as fucking possible. Like we have one short, tiny little second on this planet in our existence and let's not spend it not eating double whoppers with cheese or the fucking chicken and you know, it, w- it would be different if the puritanical mindsets that were espousing that crap weren't, once they got away from the altar, once they got away from the lectern, once they got out of the uh, pulpit, they weren't going back and eating, you know, uh, oysters Rockefeller. Yeah. You know, yeah. and drinking the best wine and the best cheeses they could, f- and eating the best cheeses they could find. It would be different if that hypocrisy wasn't there. Because those you know? rules don't apply to <laughs> exactly. the rich and powerful. Yeah. The 1%. All of the things that we unpack that traumatize us through our lives, they make those rules and they get they don't have to be held to any of those standards. And 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 it's very easy for a white man to be sitting there bitching about this stuff. I mean, everybody but me here. I has, think like you said, for men in general, because we we have a pretty easy walk at it. You know, you can have some guys who take an introspective look and say, Oh man, I felt bad that I had to get a forty four instead of a forty two, but but it's, he doesn't. It's some, yeah, no, I don't think I've ever heard a man say that. Not he, that they haven't. No, I'm I, saying I that they don't. Haven't. They but, don't. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, what I'm, I'm saying, saying they don't. But it's not that they don't think it. It's that they don't say it because it's like you're a man. Be a man. And that's. I mean, that's the biggest problem with mental health in this space. It, and that's why men still, men's voices are still important. It's because we were n- never taught like it's okay to talk about this. It's okay to hurt. It's okay to have feelings like. Feelings are, that's for women and children and the babies that we want to protect with Roe v. Wade. Um, Elaine, who are some of the people that uh, have helped inspire you in this space? Oh, gosh. Because I had mentioned, I mentioned the TikTok one. Uh, that was Dances with Fat, which I, I it's, it's a female who's a, a dancer and she posts videos, but she also is like all about this, like, I'm going to eat what I want and be happy. Shut the fuck up. She's like my OG uh inspire Reagan Chastain um she's an incredible human being and uh follow her she has a blog dances with fat she um she actually lectures at medical schools and public health spaces about the weight stigma and how damaging it is and how diets don't work and like what the hell are we doing here so um definitely check her out Reagan Chastain Um, I was lucky enough to do a six-month body image mentorship with Summer Inanen, who she has the podcast Eat the Rules, and um, she's done a lot of work in this space. She's on Instagram and Facebook, and um, she's fantastic. One of the earlier places that I turned for inspiration and just knowledge were podcasts and Christy Harrison's food psych is incredible. So packed with factual information. It's where I originally heard Lindo Bacon talk about their journey through um, health at every size 
and um, they went on to write Body Respect and uh, Radical Belonging. We have to put an asterisk next to Lindo Bacon because, you know, I, I, I think in our culture, it's like if somebody, which there was some problematic things that happened, but when somebody does something bad, we throw everything out. The baby with the bathwater. Lindo, high level, do you want to explain what the Lindo Bacon controversy was? Yeah, they made some poor choices in the way they treated uh, several people of color and several people with less power than themselves. Um, and it was really damaging to those people. It was somebody who was trying to be the voice I mean, for lack of a better term, the voice for the fat people, but wasn't letting the fat people be the voice of the fat people in that same space. And and there was a race skew to it as well. It's always a race skew. <laughs> and it was like it was like me saying, Hassan, I want you to come on my show, but I don't want to credit you in the episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And could we keep you off camera? <laughs> yeah. And I'm just going to ad lib and redub my voice over exactly, yours. So yeah. try to speak as white as possible. <laughs> um, Elaine, what is it, if there's one takeaway that you want our listeners or viewers to get from this episode, what is that? Overall, it's complicated. It's more complicated than what meets the eye. And um, this journey is not like a, oh, I listened to a podcast and now I'm I'm good to go. I'm not going to diet anymore and I'm going to be body positive and it's all great. It, this has been a multi-year journey for me to get where I am. And I'm a baby in terms of understanding all of this stuff. I mean, I've heard it from all of you throughout the podcast. There are doubts that creep in because this is such a paradigm shift from how we are all raised. And um, it, it rocked my world. And so I would just hope that people can take away a curiosity around this stuff and um, an appreciation for thinking outside the box and trying something new. We, we get reprogrammed in, in most of the situations in which we are, like a religious cult or a, you know, a certain cultural standpoint where curiosity is bad, asking questions is bad. And we're going to definitely talk more about that, but I want to give Megan as many opportunities as possible to plug what she's been doing to help people who've been taught all of those bad things. Oh, boy. So um, number one is just any chance I get talking about what I've been through and being really candid and open and honest. And even with the fact that I'm still working through it, um, I'm no I don't know. I probably will never be done getting through it. There's always going to be something there that I have to go. Oh, I didn't know that was an issue. I see it now. Let's work and move to the other side. So what I do with um you know, my uh, foundation is I'm that person that I wanted to have when I was young and especially when I came through all that I came through and validating people, you know, when they reach out and say, you know, I can't fully relate, but I went through this and, you know, they, you can even tell like they play it off like it's no big deal. And I'm like, no, no, if it affected you in a negative way and it's still something that it haunts you to this day. Like, let's work through it. Let's talk about it. You know, I just, I'm, I'm like a safe space, a safe person for people to come to and be validated and, and cared for and, you know, what they need, then I'll do research with them and help them, you know, get what they need and just reaffirm them that we're loved. 
And where where can they find you? Oh, um, uh, www.beyondzion.org. Yes. Um, and thank you so much for taking time to yeah. be here, for being candid, for throwing your husband under the bus. And <laughs> uh, in, in, in love. But no, in love. He, he means he means so well. He would be so upset if he thought he hurt me at all. But <laughs> no, I, I but I think what I'm so glad you said it, because to sit there and pretend like, oh, I don't know anybody who acts like that. I act like that. We all have acted like that. It's about trying to be better in that sense. Hassan, do you have any uh, final thoughts? No, you know what? It was it was uh, it was good to be here, and uh, I, I think I think the fact that Elaine and Megan are willing to talk and converse and not pontificate, you know, no one wants to be pontificated to, and I like that that you're a wealth of of, of you know wealth of knowledge, but you're not trying to pontificate to anyone. You're just you know sharing when engaged. And uh, I'm feeling your little asymmetric flip thing with your hair. So don't be tell, don't tell us you don't care about how you look. You know you threw that over there. I saw you throw it over there. It's true. It's it's very true. But she she did she did marry one of the like GQ models from yeah, our high very school. Cool guy. Yeah, she did. Um, well, Elaine, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for taking the time and for educating me on a lot of this stuff because. It is really trying to reprogram my own brain and relearn what body acceptance, not necessarily positivity, really is. And I've, like I said, it's it, in just a couple of weeks' time, as we've been leading up to this episode, I've noticed little things in my daily life that that negativity and and some of those like really bad, really harmful things are creeping in less and less. And that's really important. So I hope everybody else can get something out of this. So to you viewers and listeners out there, you know, go ahead and grab some heavy, very nice comfort food and listen to some more uncomfortable conversations at thegoingtherepodcast.com. You can check out all of our episodes from season one, catch up on season two, as well as check out our socials where Hassan will just be posting all of these thirst traps from his high school photos. Yes, indeed. And, uh, no, you know what's funny? I, I've gotten more play as Big Hoss than I ever did as you know athletic cool Because dude. most of America looks like the people in this conversation and not, not like Elaine's husband. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will see you next time. Thank you. While you're at it, give us a rating, share with a friend, and subscribe. And don't forget to check out our musician and comedian, Abby Feldman, at abbyfeldman.org. This podcast is made possible by its hosts and Frame One Media in association with Lindsay Baker, Joe Callie, and Bobby Thomas.